Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today in my lounge again by Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, needs must at this time. The office has been uh, closed down, so uh, we could be uh, doing the pod from the lounge for the uh, foreseeable future. That's, that's fine. It works well. Get a cup of tea as well. Um, what a week it's been. I mean, it's absolutely savage. To the extent that we obviously couldn't run our scheduled feature this week, so Phil, you, you went uh, and wrote us a brilliant cover feature explaining how investors could respond uh, to, the, to this uh, extraordinary sell-off. And uh, obviously you've reiterated some of that in your alpha report. Um, and then we've actually looked at some companies as well, because amongst all the chaos, lots and lots of companies have been reporting figures. So maybe we should talk about some companies this week as well. But let's start with the markets. What's your take on it all, Phil? <laughs> I mean, it's just bewildering. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it, really. I mean, you know, I've worked through... 23 years of this, similar to you. So you would have seen the dot-com boom or bust? Dot-com, long-term capital management in 1998 was the first one. Yeah, Asian crisis? Yeah. There then. Uh, and dot com, the credit crunch. September the 11th. Yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting day. I remember that well. But in terms of sustained selling, uh, and also selling across... It's been interesting to actually not just look at the stock market and look at how shares have been going, but also look at how the bond market, the gold market, the commodity market, I mean, things like Bitcoin, you know, for example, absolutely savage. Yeah. Um, not a store of value after all, no, it seems. No, but it's... But then gold, gold, was, gold was hit quite heavily as well. And you would have thought that the opposite would be happening there. But as I understand it, people just had to get cash. I think that's one of the things that spook people. I think I think particularly yesterday, you know, we've seen we've seen the central banks across the world, Bank of England, the European Central Bank, Federal Reserve, um essentially try to throw loads of liquidity, uh, basically giving people the ability people and businesses actually, it's not just the financial markets. Um, it's actually a lot more important than the financial market. That's been your concern with some of the stimulus measures we've seen in the past, that perhaps those measures don't find their way into the real economy. But this is not a banking crisis now, or it isn't yet. This is an economic crisis. This is, this is a real-world problem, so there has to be a real-world solution. And we've seen, we've seen a lot of firepower deployed. Uh, you mentioned in your alpha piece this week to help small businesses, for example. Yeah, I think that's this is this is very very welcome, and you know we are we're all flying blind to an extent here. No one knows what the effect. Not just it's not essentially the effect of the virus. It's uh, the effect of the actions being taken to stop the virus spreading or to contain the virus. So you know it is no surprise that if people are staying at home people working from home, events are being cancelled. We've cancelled two. Postponed. Yeah. Postponed, I should say. Oh, okay. They're going to happen again. Okay. In June, in July, But hopefully. Yeah, and that's fine. But some events won't happen again for another, yeah. you know, for another year, for example. Um, sporting events, one-off sporting events have been cancelled. My holidays are looking like it's going to get cancelled. Yeah. Next, next month to Vienna. And I not. think, and I, you know... I think people are going to lose money on holidays because it seems that the insurance companies don't want to insure it. And it's going to be interesting, actually, you know, where you stand if you've bought a holiday, you've bought a flight on a credit card, whether you can, um, you know, use the sort of chargeback. 
yeah. insurance that you kind of think you have. But we digress. I mean, in terms of, you know, this has always been the big concern when we talked about this a few weeks ago, that it is cash flow. It, and this is all about the flow of cash throughout the economy. And that's mm. essentially coming back to how an economy works. You know, an economy works and thrives when cash is moving, money is moving between businesses, individuals, governments, and the flow. it's about the flow of money. And what we're seeing here is the fear that the flow of money is going to dry up. So and for some businesses, it will dry up. But the, I mean, so the government in the budget as well. So it wasn't just the, the Bank of England that, uh, that, that offered some uh, assistance here. The, the, the budget was obviously this week, the first budget of the decade. And th- there was a lot of firepower deployed there as well, specifically to combat the, uh, the coronavirus, but also just to stimulate the economy. It was a massive spending, spending splurge. But on the coronavirus front... Yeah, there, there has been a business rate mitigation, for example, uh, loans to small businesses, this kind of stuff, just to keep them ticking over. It's survival. Yeah, and, and I think I think what we learned, or what we, we what we may be in the process of learning, is you know the banking system is actually still quite fragile. Why can't the banks provide this support? I think to an extent they can uh, in some in some countries, but. Let's not forget here that before the coronavirus started up, the Federal Reserve in the United States was intervening quite significantly in the repo market Mm. to provide liquidity for banks. So there was already signs of strain in the system before the coronavirus even reared its head. And what we've seen this week is we've seen Bank of England, the European Central Bank, Basically saying, look, we're going to stand behind the banking system. We're actually going to give them give them a lot of support because interest rate cuts now can't really be passed on because it would damage the profitability of the banks. They've cut the rates that they give to savers pretty much as far as they can mm. without risking people withdrawing money en masse. And if you want to pass on a cut in interest rates to businesses and people who really need it, the danger was that the something called the net interest margin or the spread between what you lend and what you borrow at, so what you charge to lenders and what you pay depositors, would get squeezed. And there are two things here that the the central banks are doing. They are essentially printing money or going to print money or, in their terms, create reserves. And they're going to allow the commercial banks to tap into that source of money and lend it without taking a profit hit. It's quite a nice turn for the banks. It's quite complicated. I don't want to get into it, but that's essentially what it means, is that the banks are being given a leg up here. And because it's not just about it's not just about liquidity. I mean, liquidity is a massive issue here and the biggest issue. But clearly, what you don't want is a big borrower that hits a liquidity problem going bust, because then you've got a bad loan problem. Should we talk about that? Uh, as an idea, in the context of a company this week that has come out with some pretty horrible news, and that's Cineworld. Yeah. Um, so, loaded up on debt to buy a big chain in America, in the process of buying another big one in Canada, I think it that's is. That's right. For about as much debt again. Um, and it came out this week with it, within its results and said, the covenants look at risk. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's... Uh, when When companies prepare their accounts, financial statements... This is something that's ignored most of the time, but in times like this, people begin to focus. So they have to um, 
essentially say that they've been prepared on the basis that the business is going to stay in business for the next 12 months. This is this is called the going concern concept. And um, they came out with a pretty detailed uh, view on, on their ability to survive what's going on and gave some details on how much debt they could actually take on relative to their profits or EBITDA, which is something that lenders and credit rating agencies look at. And, and they basically said that they could go to five and a half times their EBITDA. So that's their profits before interest, tax and depreciation. It's sort of a, a proxy for a cash flow. But said that under the worst case scenario, or the scenario that they went into, which was a pretty bad one, um, that they would breach those covenants. Uh, I, then, I then went and actually crunched a few numbers and, and came to the conclusion that even before the coronavirus, they're pretty much touching them already. If you, if you look at this acquisition that they're, they're, they're hell-bent on doing, this Cineplex acquisition, um, and the other thing as well is that um, what we're seeing with Cineworld is a great example for investors of how the rents that they've been paying for their, their cinemas and their obligations to pay those rents are being put on the balance sheet and classified as pretty much as borrowings. Cineworld put £4.2 billion, pounds, sorry, $4.2 billion, US dollars, of, um, of leased, lease liabilities on its balance sheet last year. And then you, you can adjust the profits for that. And you um, put on the, I went onto the Cineplex accounts and adjusted and put it all in and put the cost savings from the deal. And they are at 5.3 times EBITDA, net debt to EBITDA, before any coronavirus hit comes through at all. And of course, you know, you have these, these fixed costs of, you know, you have to pay the rent, even if the cinema is empty, and, but you lose a lot of revenue. And, this, and I think the key thing about this, this is all about revenue. It's about, it's about the hits to company revenue and how that feeds through to profits. It's something that I talk about a lot. It's about operational gearing. Mm. And when you get a big loss of revenue, the loss of profits can be massive. And you can actually turn a business from a profitable one into a loss-making one. I mean, because if you look at Cineworld's adjusted EBITDA, as you do, it's actually grown this year. It looks pretty healthy. You need to be a bit careful there, because if you actually look at the look at the accounts, you've only got 10 months of Regal in 2018's figures, and you've got a full year in 2019. And for some reason, Cineworld didn't present its 2018 numbers adjusted for, for leases. So what happens with the EBITDA is on... So you've got an extra two months of Regal compared with last year, but you've also got it adjusted. So EBITDA actually increases by all of the rent expense. So under the old standard, the rent expense was deducted. And this to adjust for that, you add it back because it's essentially the rent expense is depreciation and interest. So you get a big increase in EBITDA. And then the interest and the depreciation come below that. Um, so it does, to the, to the sort of first glance, it looks like there's a big increase. But actually, when you look at things like its profits and its cash flow and its free cash flow, they've actually gone down. Mm. I mean, the shares absolutely tanked this week. I think they were down 50% on a, in the day. Uh, and they had already fallen quite a lot over the course of the previous week. Yeah, I, I, and they did rally back. 
I mean, I think I, when I was when I was writing this up, they were sort of fifty percent off. But I think they only ended up only I say ended down twenty five percent. I think you know you look at this. I think you've got to applaud company, some companies that they seem to be coming out, and most of them are being pretty pretty straight because there's no there's no reason not to because you'll get found out. And I I would expect something like Cineworld. If you're if you're a banker and you've lent money to Cineworld, and this not just this applies to all businesses, if you can keep these companies going through this temporary problem or hopefully temporary problem, which takes us back to what we were saying a few minutes ago about getting support from the central banks, then they will because they it's an even bigger headache for them if if, if uh, the company goes bust. And I, I would expect that. Um, that Cineworld hopefully will get through this. We don't really know exactly what the, the business effects of the coronavirus will be yet on a company like Cineworld. Um, but people are staying at home. We are. Um, you know, th- this is going to impact business to a degree. And and something we've been talking about, and I think you alluded to it in your Alpha report, and we've been talking about it at work, is at what point do people start to realise, say, let's say working from home, for example, and working from home and we suddenly realise that we can do this and it's really quite easy and we've got these fantastic technologies that help us do it. Um, things like Slack and you know stuff we've built ourselves uh, and we don't need to go to the office every day in the numbers that we do. Well, I'm one of those people that doesn't go to the office anyway. <laughs> well, well, you well, do come in every now well, and I then. Come in, but, uh, I come in most Thursdays, but most of my work is from home. Yeah, but with someone like Cineworld, you know, they, you know, their business involves people, you know, the physical proximity, people coming to the cinema, but you've got Netflix out there, which is making, a, you know, Academy Award winning films that never, go, never show in the cinema. The world is changing, and, it, and is this an accelerant? This 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 COVID outbreak could accelerate some of these shifts that really do some damage here to uh, some big old industries. Yeah, definitely. And I, I mean, I've thought all along just on Cineworld that eventually it seems to me that the size of people's television screens in their homes are getting bigger. That's a big one there. Yeah, <laughs> sound systems. That you know, the film companies may just cut out the middleman. Mm. Cut out the cinema chains as a, as a means of distribution. Just release it through. Well, the, the middleman will be Amazon or Apple or Google or, D- or Disney. Disney will have yeah, its, Disney, its own channel. Yeah, Disney, Disney will Plus, do it which, themselves which really... through Disney Plus. Yeah. So no, I think I think it's very interesting. I think it's sort of. I think companies, some old economy companies, face a bit of an ex- existential threat. It it was a trend that was happening very very slowly. But it could happen a lot more quickly. Well, I think the one we were talking about before we came on air was property. Yeah. People will realise that, that, okay, they might not be able to work at home all the time, but they will be able to work at home more. And then you, I mean, you're already seeing this trend towards desk sharing and cutting down on office capacity. And let's face it, office capacity in office space in places like London is just horrendously expensive. It is expensive. And I mean, if you look at the London skyline, a lot of very large buildings have gone up in recent years. I mean, there must have, there must have been more skyscrapers built in London in the last five years than there were in the previous 50. And a lot of that may well be speculative build. Mm. Um, and that, that, you know, whether, some will have tenants signed up, but a lot of that will be speculative. And that's something that, you know, if you're looking at property company, uh, that's the kind of thing to check out. I mean, you, you only have to look at someone like Into, Into Properties, which, you know, is a big retail landlord, shopping malls. That was how people used to shop. And uh, it's had a terrible time. Um, and and you, can, you can point to changes in shopping behaviour, 
the rise of e-commerce. And could this happen, could this spread throughout, throughout the property world? It could. But you see, the common theme that's coming back here, looking at companies that people are really worrying about, so a lot of them are loaded up with debt. Mm. And this is where you get found out. And when you get, get an economic hit, a recession, companies with debt, the shareholders effectively get killed. What I think for me, you know, one of the real lessons of this, and you know, no, one, no one knows what's going to happen, but I think it is a, a reminder of this whole thing about, about risk, investment risk, business risk. Um, obviously, the two are very closely related. And I think we got away from that. I think we got away from that, um, you know, even up to like five, six weeks ago. Um, it just felt too easy to make money in the stock market. This is a this is a very harsh reality check, which makes me think that the stock markets are not going to return to their highs very quickly. John Rosier, uh, our private investor diarist who's uh whose column is in the magazine this week actually said something to me when he when he came on this podcast he said something about uh he was talking about PE compression multiple compression so when you get a sell-off like this you know where you've had these companies that have sort of re-raised it higher and higher and higher and higher when it when everything kind of settles back down again everything sort of becomes the same price almost um so so and we've got some very expensive companies out there in in, in the sense of how highly rated they are yeah and I think if you look at look at the reasons that companies have become very highly rated, a lot of it has been through low interest rates. Mm. So, but the argument has been that they're they're higher quality. Yeah, they're higher quality, and in a low interest world, they're seen as safe stores, predictable stores of even if the the rating or I, I think investors should look at less at multiples and turn it into interest rates. Look at yields because it's easy to compare against cash and bonds so something on 30 times earnings is about 3.3 percent yield now when bonds are yielding less than one the argument's been well okay i'm, I'm happy to buy shares at 3.3 percent yield because that yield can grow and if interest rates stay low i'm actually going to do quite well through the growth in the yield on the on cost yield on the price that i pay for mm. a share now, that argument stacks up and holds up as long as the confidence in the, in the thing that produces the yield, the profit, the dividend, the cash flow, is there. And what we've got here now is a, is a change in the confidence and a rise in the uncertainty about what actually produces the yield on stock. And, and you, know, you, look at, you look at companies like Diageo, which I have been this week, you know, that's fallen heavily. And this is one of those companies that that is considered, you know, a bond proxy almost. But Diageo has come out and actually quantified the hit to its profits just from China. Now, if this spreads and it is spreading, then what's happened to Diageo's profits in China, where the bars were shut, is going to happen in Europe, in the UK, in the United States. People will not be in bars drinking Johnny Walker Black Label or Tanqueray 10. Yeah, I, I mean, it does sound like we've got a few weeks where where we we do face a, a period of lockdown. I think you know they're they're talking at the moment about sort of ten to fourteen days till the virus hits its peak in the UK, and ten to fourteen days after that, where it sort of fizzles away. Hopefully, that's a long time for people to be cooped up and not drinking. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I think what's what's really interesting is that you've 
had this fear where you've seen the shares that have been, you know, particularly anything that's related to travel or leisure. So airlines, travel, retail, hotels, been absolutely hammered. But we, you know, as we saw with WH Smith the other day, you've seen the shares hammered and then the companies actually come out and try and tell you what they think the damage to profits is going to be and they get hammered again. Mm. Because, I mean, I mean, WH Smith is a really interesting um, example about the damage that a short bit of pain, short bit of disruption can do to its profits. It's a good company. It's an excellent company. I mean, it's a business, the travel business is something that I really like, and I've talked about it on previous podcasts. But what we've, what we've seen here, and I think, you know, if you actually look at what it's come out and said, it's saying that it's expecting its airport business in the UK to have a 35% reduction in sales in March and in April, and then it expects it to recover. And... It's got a bit of protection because it's got a lot of its shops in hospitals. And that will, you know, for mm. obvious reasons, that will probably help. So it's expecting its UK sales for the year, or for the second half of the year, to be down 15%. Its overseas business is even more airport biased. And it's been acquiring as well, Yeah, overseas. Yeah, in America particularly. And we haven't got a shutdown of American airspace yet, but... They, they tried to put something on the numbers. So they're saying 15% down in the UK and the larger the rest of the world going to be down about 20%. Now, the UK is about 60% of the travel business. But the hit to profits is big. Now, before, before all this, people were expecting just under 160 million of pre-tax profits um, to be made by the company in the year to September. And they're saying that the revenues could be off sort of 100, 120, 130 million. And the profits, the pre-tax profits, could be 30 to 40 million off. So you're looking at 25% downgrade on earnings per share forecasts here. But only for one year? Yeah, but it's not, I know it's only for one year. But this is, this is for like two, three months of real disruption. You need 25% off your profit forecast. This is, this is you know, a real hammer blow but it's also a learning experience investors now are learning what an event like this could do to a company as good as this and we get back to the what we were talking about a few minutes ago about okay what multiple do you know when when wh smith recovers what multiple do you pay for its profits not the same one you paid before yeah so you were paying 20 times or even more than that for the travel business if you back out the retail business you're probably paying 25 times earnings for the travel business. Now, investors eventually will, if, if we don't get recurring viruses or problems like they are talking, They are talking about that being a possibility. Yeah. So this now becomes ingrained in the mindset of investors who will look at WH Smith. And they'll say, well, and, I, and this is what I think. I think there's a permanent shift potentially here in terms of the valuation that investors will be prepared to pay for certain companies. Oh, because, because it's now been shown to them that these things aren't bond proxies. And not that WH Smith ever was, but they weren't, you know, bulletproof, buy and hold forever and everything will be fine. I'm sure they will forget at some point in the future. Well, investors do, don't they? <laughs> They seem to have forgotten uh, a few times in our uh, experience of uh, yeah, these, these yeah. Uh, strange city times. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's fascinating. Travel is obviously something you look at in your cover feature. Yeah. What is it? I mean, surely you just avoid travel. Travel shares, that is, and avoid travel. I think airlines. If you look at the re- where the real damage is being done, it's being done in airlines, and even more so is in uh, cruise lines. Um, I mean, Carnival has actually escaped quite well compared to uh, there's Norwegian cruises, which is listed in listed in New York. That share's down 80% year to date. Who wants to go? Who's ever going to want to go on a cruise again? Well, I think, you know, if people think you're going to get, you know, locked out at sea for three weeks and um, essentially be in prison, then it's not particularly appetising. No, it sounds horrible. But also, you know, the demographic of the population that tends to, you know, older people, that's been driving the growth of cruises, or a lot more younger people taking cruises as well. Um, That clearly is going to be a problem. But I'm not... You know, I think there are interesting pockets within the um, the, uh, the travel industry. And I think what, one of the shares I mentioned what, a couple of weeks ago is National Express. Now, National Express, their shares have been hammered. And their two big, their two big businesses are Spanish bus business and US, US school bus, US urban buses. If the, if, the school, if the school children in America don't go to school, they don't get paid. And clearly, if there's a big spread of the virus in Spain, then they're going to lose revenue mm. and they're going to get a big hit. But if you were to take the view that this is, a com- this is something that will, will blow over, you know, the American school holidays start a lot earlier than, than, than the UK school holidays. If you get a hot summer in Spain and that dampens down any sort of virus, then this, this is a company whose earnings, whatever hit they take, can come back. I mean, this, these shares, I think yesterday, I don't see them today, but they were on seven and a half times earnings with a 6% dividend yield. And it's very well managed business. But what we've seen here is there's very few things that you can trust in this market. Should people be out looking for bargains? Yeah, I think they should. I think they should be. You know, I think they should. All, investors should always be building a watch list. Um, well, that's not necessarily a buy list. At no, any no. Given point. I mean, the problem with this is you're never going to call the bottom of this unless you're incredibly lucky. But there are, you know, there are businesses out there. I mean, one of one of the one of the things I talked about in terms of hiding places. I, I think some of these utility shares, these network utility shares like National Grid. Um, the water companies now, they've just had a regulatory review. They've now got five years, five years, hopefully, visibility on their, on their dividend payments, which most of them are going to increase in line with inflation. For me, that's a better place to put your money than, than guilt. Mm. Um, unless, of course, everything just goes terribly bad and people can't pay their water bills. In which case, we've all got a lot more important things to worry about. Yeah, I mean, these, these kind of shares have not been very loved uh, for a very long time, mostly because of political risk, I would argue. Yeah. Maybe it's time to have another look. I think, you know, the water companies, if you're looking for, you know, water, National Grid, Scotch and Southern Energy, which has got big grid business, big offshore wind business, these aren't risk-free businesses. Well, but even- they, are, they are interesting sources of income. The electricity companies have got a bit of regulatory risk in them. The water companies have got a pretty good run now for the next few years. Regulatory risk will probably go up. Will, will you know go up a little bit on the electricity grid companies because they're close to their regulatory review. Um, but if we if we believe in clean energy and the fact that the grid needs to be upgraded, then these are businesses that 
are going to need to be incentivized to invest. And yeah, they're not, you know, they're not racy growth shares that will ever trade on big multiples. But I think I think there's a place for them, and certainly for people who are who are looking at income generating shares. Um, these look quite interesting to me. Yeah, I mean the market's bounced back quite a lot today. I haven't looked at any individual share prices. What's no. what's, what's what's behind that today? I haven't. Don't know. Whip soaring. But yeah, Neil, think, Neil think, Wilson called it wanging around last week. <laughs> I think this is what's typical of, of a situation like this: is that you will get relief rallies. Relief? What's the relief today, though? Don't know. People just think it's gone down far enough. I mean, you, you know, but you, I, I was looking at an, an old price graph of the FTSE 100 going back quite some way, and you know, if you look at some of the sort of levels to which it fell during after the dot com crash and during the financial crisis, there, there's further to go. If this is a real big one. Yes, yeah, there is. You often find that if you look at decline in the market, it's not. I mean, this one looks terrible. It looks like while was it John Authors referred did a brilliant thing in, in the, other, the other day when he referred to the wily coyote and the uh, the ju- jumping off a cliff, which is which is a pretty good way of, of summing up. I mean, is, it, actually, is, there's, there's a there's, it is the fastest ever uh, time that the S and P 500 has taken to, to reach a bear market on record. Yes. So it took 16 days. Yeah, to, to to go into bear market territory, uh, the previous uh, record was uh, the Wall Street crash. So I mean, that's that is, gives you an idea of the sort of magnitude and severity of this thing. And why I kind of I, I worry a bit about complacency that that's ah, over now. Pile back in. The trouble with this, and it's people like us, you know, you know, our profession that write about this kind of stuff, saying, oh, you know, great buying opportunity in March '03 or March '09. But when you were there at the time, very few people were saying that. I, I by March '03, I I kind of given up on everything because <laughs> it was a grind. I mean, at, le- at least this has been a crash. What's and interesting on this is that if you look at the the levels of fear, you know, people look at you know the VIX index on the US. The VIX I think closed yesterday at about eighty two, and I think that was the second highest level outside the financial crisis or the highest level outside of the the you know the financial crisis so it's showing that there's heavy levels of fear now i don't think the reasons for that fear have gone away i mean my concern one of my big concerns is that there's a hedge fund out there or a series of hedge funds that have got the wrong side of trades maybe a trade in the us treasury market which is why we had the intervention from maybe why we had the intervention from the Federal Reserve yesterday um, that we don't know about yet, and they have to liquidate. And as an investment, people start thinking, okay, which investment bank has lent money to this hedge fund that can't liquidate, can't get out? Because we've seen signs of, you know, almost indiscriminate selling. Of you know, we had everything going down. But it goes back to that, that point about gold. Why is gold going down at a time like this? I think gold's going down because despite everything that's going on, I mean, gold is seen as a, an inflation hedge. It's what, it's what you buy if you think you're going to get high inflation. But it's also seen as a store of value, a, a, a safe haven, uh, when, there, when there are times of distress. Yeah, but so are treasuries. Yeah. And I think it, I think it depends on your view. I think what's... This has been a theme that's been going through central banks for since the dot com bust, and what they've been trying to work out, or what they've been what they fearful of the most, is deflation. 
falling prices because that makes it much more... Deflation is bad for two things. Bad if you've got to pay back debt, but it's bad for the economy because it entrenches the view. People put off purchases. Well, this is Japan. I mean, this is where it's yeah, been for Yeah, and this is, why, this is why printing money, quantitative easing, probably isn't going to work because, you know, you've cut them as far as you can go. If you keep cutting... I mean, you, can, if you can't really cut base rates much further without putting the banks into real difficulties. I mean, you, want, you actually want to incentivize the banks to lend. But if no one wants to borrow because they feel that they can't get a return on investment on what they're going to invest in with the borrowed money, then you get, you get into this problem. And this is why you've now got people calling for the governments to spend money. Which, which the UK government very much has done this week. I mean, you know, billions yeah. and billions of pounds for infrastructure, green investment, uh, you know, electric yeah. vehicle charging, That'll infrastructure, time, R&D though. support. That will take time to hit, mm. the, hit the economy. And, you know, it's amazing now that we've had the talk of helicopter money come back. And, you know, I go back to what we touched on right at the start here, which is we're dealing with an issue which essentially boils down to the flow of money around the economy. It's like, you know, just, just keep it. It's like spinning plates. You know, you're trying to keep the plates spinning so you don't want to all crash and break. And that's essentially what they're trying to do with the flow of money. They want to keep keep the flow of money. So the, so the idea of helicopter money, which we've heard talks about for years and years and years, this is just basically giving people money to go and spend. And that's the key issue. Will pe- you, know, you can inflate the money supply, you can create money, but if people don't spend that money, then the effect of creating that money doesn't, doesn't do anything. This is a, something that's been sort of attributed to monetary policy in general, where you look at interest rates. And, and it's attributed to um, John Maynard Keynes, but it's like, the, it's like the Einstein compound interest. No one can actually find the time when he said it. But he's basically referred to as you get to the state where you've cut interest rates so low and monetary policy becomes so ineffective it's sort of like pushing on a piece of string is what it's what it referred to and i think we're at that point i i just think it's very revealing that you know yesterday you know when the federal reserve came out and said it was going to throw one and a half trillion pounds at the bond market wall street rallied about six percent in about half an hour and then when people digested it they thought oh it's qe again we're going to underwrite the stock market and then when people still sat back and digested it and thought hold on a minute this might mean something else that actually there's a big liquidity problem or there's an issue here the market sold off again and you know if you look at all the actions that have been taken by bank of england the european central bank i mean that went down like a lead balloon yesterday mm, yes it wasn't very popular um, Christine Lagarde. and um Again, with the Federal Reserve, it's not not done the job because. Well, can, I guess your point is, can it do the job? It's over. I think I think what they're doing in terms of providing liquidity is a buffer to businesses and to households. Yes, but in terms of stimulating growth, no. So that's, I think it's, it's a busted rea- flush. I think it's really hard. I think we need new ideas now. You know, we now go back to government spending money. But then you're going to say, well, where does the government get the money from? And it's well, all very well. it cheaply? Well, well, the thing is, it's all very well, you know, the, the Federal Reserve throwing one and a half trillion. 
But the American budget deficit is over a trillion. You know, they've cut their taxes, they're keeping their spending high. So the American government needs to issue bonds. And so you've got a lot of bond issuance as well. You know, sooner or later, the worry, the worry that I have is that this sort of creating money out of fresh air to fund spending, eventually people get fed up with it. Mm. And they then start questioning the currencies involved. And I don't want, to, want us to get to that, that point of view. But I think there needs to be... I mean, I have my own views on it. Probably a time for another podcast to talk about this. But I think printing money, slashing interest rates... It's amazing how this has become groupthink. And you get like a cheer. Oh, yeah, it's, it's not about supporting the financial markets anyway. This is about the real economy. And the problem is, is that since for the last 10, 12 years, that you've had far too much of supposed help just go into the financial markets if you look at what banks the banks have lent mainly to households you know it's gone into property or car loans or whatever Mm. in terms of business investment business investments actually been quite weak um, apart from property related stuff this is is quite interesting because you know business investment would be in sort of new plant new machinery or or expansion create jobs or become more productive with with the, the investments that you make we have very high employment in this country, and this, you know there is there has always been this nagging question about whether that high employment is the sort of the uh, the flip side of low investment. It's flip side of low investment, also which also then leads into a productivity problem. Mm. Is that is that the economy is not producing as much as other economies are? I'm talking about the UK here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so there there are all all kinds of issues here which have never gone away. And and what we've what we've essentially come to is we've had another event which reveals all this, and there we are. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's very interesting. I, I say this is um, this is the sort of big picture stuff that I think investors really need to think about. Not just look at those share prices, those index prices, you know, jumping up and down. I think there is something bigger beneath all of this, which we all need to think about a great deal. I think so. I mean, we need to break away from this sort of mindset of how we try and solve these problems. I think, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm actually still quite optimistic. You know, I, 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 you know I, I think that there, is, there are ways out. Humans are pretty good at solving stuff. I mean, obviously, there are things that come along, along the way that do cause massive problems. You know, history tells us that. But I think we need, we need something now which sort of... This has become a bit like a broken record. Um, you know, in terms of printing money, cutting interest rates, we need to try something different. Fiscal policy may not be the way uh, either, because obviously you've got to fund it. I don't think there's a painless way, way out of this, but there may be a different way out of it. Well, I guess we'll find that out in the years to come. Um, in the magazine this week, we've actually got your feature, which you can you can read a lot of your uh, thoughts on, on what we've been speaking about today in that feature. I mean, it's a very calm assessment of where we are. And I guess that's that's a big lesson, a big takeaway from, from a crisis like this is don't panic. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's scary, but if you panic, you might make some very bad decisions at this point. And what we've tried to do, what you've tried to do in this feature is, is kind of help people stay calm. Yeah, I think it's never a bad thing sometimes when things change to go back and look at what you're doing with your investments, with your money, looking at where you've got investment. I think you know how you know people now, if they haven't if they haven't done done it, then they should be. Will realise now how much risk they're comfortable with. Mm. And I know it's not great 
there's not great alternative returns on other things, but perhaps um, there's been there's been a good lesson there. Then, I, actually, so that's something that John Rosier does in his his portfolio now. He's got this uh, risk reward uh, approach that he takes. Perhaps uh, that's something all investors should perhaps consider. When yeah, they, I think uh, that's, when... that's a definitely a good thing to do. Indeed, it is. Um, let me talk you through what else we've got. Thank you, Phil. Sorry. Let me talk you through what else we've got in the magazine this week. Lots and lots of uh, stuff related to the to the current crisis. Uh, looking specifically at the banking sector, uh, further to what you've been talking about today, Phil, and oil and gas, which is kind of where the that was a sort of second trigger for this this sell off. The uh, the Saudi um, shenanigans in the oil market, uh, which uh, which saw the oil petrol prices absolutely. Uh, if we if they pass them on at the pumps, but so what did we say? I mean, the oil price was down. I think it's thirty percent in a day. Yeah. Biggest move ever. Extraordinary stuff. We had the budget this week, so uh, we've looked at some of the stories that are most relevant to to investors there uh, over a couple of pages. We've looked at uh, various stuff in the fund section uh, around COVID-19. Absolute return funds is the big uh, theme this week, um, which are quite interesting. They promise to keep you safe in all market conditions, and uh, sometimes they don't. Uh, so we've, we've had a look at them. They'll talk about that on their podcast this week. In fact, they all may, may already have done that. I think they did it yesterday in our slot. Um, lots and lots of results. Lots of results. Uh, good time to get bad news out if you're a company. <laughs> But there's some interesting stuff to read with a view to the future there. Uh, all the usual tips, lots and lots of comments this week, uh, including our new trader, Michael Taylor. Um, and actually, if you want to get on, on the website, our market coverage this week has been fantastic that uh, Neil Wilson's been putting together. You would have heard him on the, uh, on the podcast last week. Anyway, thank you, Phil. Thank you all for listening. Pick up the magazine in all good news agents. Surviving the sell-off. Uh, Phil Oakley explains how investors should respond to the COVID-19 crisis. And we'll be back again next week, probably in this lounge again. Thank you.